Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hello again, this is Engage 360 from Denver Seminary. I'm Don Payne, your host, and want to welcome you to another week's episode. We have a really interesting guest whom I will introduce to you in just a moment. First, before we get underway, I want to give a shout out to our Washington, D.C. campus and particularly to uh, the students who flew out here recently to attend the Blacks in Theology Gala. Uh, we had a great time interacting with them. want to thank them for making that trek and for all the good things that are going on at the D.C. campus. want to especially give a shout out and a word of thanks to uh, Pastor John Jenkins and the First Baptist Church of Glen Arden, Maryland, who have for several years now very graciously and very generously uh, hosted our D.C. campus, and we're, we're delighted about all that goes on there. Want you um, want you folks to uh, feel like you're really a, a part of the Denver Seminary community, and if you know anyone who is uh, interested in seminary education in that part of our country, please refer them to Deborah Barr, our site director for the Washington, D.C. campus. Okay, well, to the business at hand. If you are interested in the defense of the Christian faith— apologetics, as it's often called, you need to know the name John Dixon, if you don't already. Uh, Now, depending upon your angle of view, you might see John as an historian, you might see him as a New Testament scholar, an apologist, or perhaps even a musician. Uh, If you don't know of John, it might be because he is Australian and does much of his work there, though he has a somewhat regular presence in the U.S. Uh, He was founder and for 10 years director of the Center for Public Christianity in Australia. For nine years, he served as rector of St. Andrew's Anglican Church in Roseville, which I believe is in the uh, Sydney area. Is that correct? Uh, Has a Ph.D. in ancient history from Macquarie University, taught uh, taught at Macquarie at the University of Sydney Regent College, and the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Great to be with you. We're so glad to have you here. Let me tell you just a little bit more about John before we uh, turn him loose on you. John has his own uh, podcast, very regular podcast, called Undeceptions, and I'll I'll ask him to tell you more about that. You can learn more about uh, the many facets of John's ministry at his website, which is, which is johndixon.org, and that's spelled D-I-C-K-S-O-N, johndixon.org. He is the author of, I believe, 18 books? I think so. And, I, I don't <laughs> sit around and count them. but <laughs> That's what I've heard. Yeah, it sounds about right. Uh, let me give you a few of the titles. Is Jesus History, uh, A Doubter's Guide to Jesus, A Doubter's Guide to the Ten Commandments, A Doubter's Guide to the Bible, A Spectator's Guide to World Religions, uh, if I Were God, I'd End All the Pain. I love that title. Uh, and then I think you have another one in the works right now, do you not? I have a few, actually. But yeah, okay. one of them is called Losing Well and Other Strategies for Winning the World. <laughs> okay. Um, John, why don't you give us a little bit of uh, your own backstory and um, tell us a bit about your ministry, and then we'll get into some specifics. Sure. I was raised in a non-Christian household, typical Australian household, uh, by the beach, uh, Mossman in Sydney. If anyone's uh, been to Sydney's Taronga Zoo, our famous zoo, I grew up just around the corner from there. So very nice upbringing at, at many levels, you know, comfortable, uh, beautiful surroundings, but God less uh, in that I'd never been inside a church before I was 16. Uh, 
Uh, I lost my dad when I was nine, and I think that made me a more ponderous kid. Uh, so I did think about God, even though I didn't have any religious input. And I even remember uh, saying the Lord's Prayer. And it, it was always a mystery to me how I even knew the Lord's Prayer back then uh, in its traditional form, you know, who art in heaven and all that. And I used to say it. And it was only years later, uh, after I'd become a Christian and was in ministry, that I met this elderly lady uh, who said that she'd taught me the Lord's Prayer when she was my babysitter shortly after my dad had died. And I obviously had just forgotten her <laughs> and remembered the Lord's Prayer. Uh, but uh, to cut a long story short, when I was about 16, a teacher at school who was a dynamic uh, Christian woman, uh, middle-aged mom, uh, basically sort of pointed me to the Christian faith. I was skeptical at first, but I investigated. I read the Gospels and over about a year of reading the Gospels came to think this is true and beautiful and found myself sort of swept up in the Christian faith. But so did uh, four or five of my mates who were all completely godless Aussie kids as well. So what did we do? We started a band. We just thought, you know, hey, that's a Well, of course, that's what you do. And we thought, you know, at, at one, looking back, it was, you know, partly teenage ambition, probably, combined with a genuine desire to make Christ public. Uh, we'd never heard of Christian music. Uh, we didn't know anything about Amy Grant or whatever, you know. We, we, it was kind of a blessing in some ways. All of our influences were um, secular influences. So we just started a band and uh, played in pubs and clubs and unis, and it took off. So uh, the year after we finished our final year of school, we were full-time singing and playing around the country and overseas for the next six years, 10 months on the road. Mm. It was wonderful, but we were trying to commend Christ, and we would do it between songs. And it led to more invitations to speak and invitations to write books. And so it was really out of that band that everything fell. And... I got to the point where I was worried I'd end up um, shallow, impressive, but shallow. You know, like you set up a band, you blast people away. Uh, I was the lead singer, and so I would do these song introductions and, you know, bring Christ in that way. But I was saying the same thing in the next town that I was saying in the previous town. And we were worried that we'd be shallow. So we decided, weirdly, that we should go to theological college. All of you together? All of us together. And just learn this stuff, you know, because we were talking to thousands of people every week. So we might as well know what we're talking about. <laughs> and so we asked everyone, you know, what's the nerdiest college in Australia that we should go to? You know, and they all said this one particular college, Moore College in Sydney. And we went and it was, it was a culture shock. You know, I went from touring the world with my best friends playing music to sitting in the back of class learning ancient Greek. And uh, I struggled. Emotionally, I struggled. Uh, academically, I surprised everyone, <laughs> myself yeah. especially, uh, and, and that's what kicked off a more academic thing. So I went from there, enrolled in a master's program, switched over to the ancient history department of a state university and completed my PhD. But again, not because I feel like I'm a passionate academic, but because I want to make Christ public. And it seems sinking those roots really deeply is crucial to reaching uh, the world today. This is a long-winded way of just saying, yeah, I've done lots of different things. I then became an Anglican clergyman. I started the Center for Public Christianity. But it is all just one thing that I've been trying to do since I was 16, and that is uh, make Christ public. I love the way you put that, make Christ public. So 
what are some of the things that the Center for Public Christianity was involved in? Yeah, well, it was a dream that uh, a friend and I had had for many years. And it just through a miraculous series of events, we were offered a giant grant to just start, you know, the seed funding for a, for a center. And so in 2007, my friend Greg Clark and I got ourselves some offices, employed some support staff, and uh, we just started to write for the mainstream media. That, that's, how it, that's how it began. A writing? Writing. Ministry? Okay. Uh, f- so writing articles for the mainstream media. We didn't even know if they'd take the pieces, but they did. They took our first, our second, our third, and, and we ended up being published very regularly offering opinion pieces in the mainstream mm. newspapers. That led to radio, uh, TV interviews. It ballooned into uh, making documentaries as well. Uh, the whole goal of which is to make Christ public to the to the secular space. So people should go to publicchristianity.org. I no longer work there, but the guys are still doing a fantastic job uh, making Christ public. Okay. Give us a bit of an overview of the Australian context. Um, most, Not all of our listeners are in the States, but the majority are, I think. Um, but how, how would you describe the Australian context um, and, and how that gives a particular form or shape to your apologetic work? Well, Australia is uh, a little more advanced in the secularization march than America. I often say it's the only thing Australia is more advanced on. <laughs> um, so, you know, the number of people claiming to be some kind of Christian is around 50%. Uh, in America, it's, you know, 70 plus percent. Uh, but in both countries, it's a, there's a decline mm-hmm. right, in the number mm-hmm. of people in the major surveys and an increase in those who say they have no religion. And uh, for us, it's up to 30% now. And, you know, the next the next uh, census will find that that's, that's grown. Um, so it's quite a secular country, but um, you'll often hear Australians talk about it being really secular. I actually am of the view that, uh, that Australia uh, operates in two gears at once, which sounds odd, but it is. I mean, Christianity is highly contested in Australia. No Christian is given an easy time in the public square. But they are invited in the public square. Yeah, interesting. There's this plausibility, nonetheless, in the culture. Oh, you better have a Christian on this panel or whatever. Uh, they're not given an easy time, but they're invited. And that's really interesting. It is. Um, so I, I actually think Christianity is neither, a, uh, sorry, Australia is neither a Christian country nor a post-Christian country. Um, it's, it's just a weird mix. And what it means is that, that Christians in this environment need to, I think, adopt a posture of not being surprised at the opportunities that come along, but not being shocked when they're given a really bad time. Just rejoice that you're invited to the dinner party in the first place, as mm-hmm. it were. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's, that's one thing I, I try and drill into myself and my colleagues, that Christians in the public square should, should see themselves as guests at someone else's dinner party. It's not our homes, not our table, not our food, but we've been invited and we've got a seat at the table and we can laugh and chat and throw in comments like the best of them. Mm-hmm. But if we want to be invited back, don't be a jerk. Don't, don't <laughs> act like it's your dinner party. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy for some Australians who remember maybe a more Christian past in Australia to feel like it's you know their party. You know, they, they host the party and the, the children at the table are 
acting out. And uh, so there's an arrogant posture. Now, I may be exaggerating it for clarity's sake, but it's this posture of generosity and cheerfulness, confidence. I don't, I don't mean we have to be sheepish. Confidence, but a cheerful confidence that's happy to be invited into every argument, but then criticized. And that's fine. It's the ancient art of losing well. Is, is yeah, uh, Hence the title of your... Well, the forthcoming book, yeah. yeah. Um, so, but, but I do think that the New Testament speaks a lot about losing well. About, about Christians not complaining when they're stuffed in jail or uh, when uh, they're, they're harshly treated. Not, don't be scandalized by the fact that um, people shout you down. Um, but approach the world with gentleness and respect because we know who the Lord is. Mm-hmm. I say all this not, because, not, not simply because we're meant to be humble and just lie in the corner. I say it because we know who the true Lord is. So it doesn't matter if we come off badly, we can afford public. to lose. We can afford to lose. It's only the insecure person who can't afford to lose. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are there any distinctive questions, the, the big questions you face in the Australian context? What, what are some of those? I have de- detected in the last uh, sort of 15 years uh, the increase of a cluster of questions that are all very similar, actually, even though they seem different. But it's the cluster of questions around whether Christianity, Christians, the church, is good for you or whether it's bad, pernicious. And so you know, maybe 15 years ago, the criticism of Christians for being too moral or too holier than thou. Now it's more common to hear people say, no, nah, it poisons everything. Hmm. And so you get questions like Old Testament violence. Uh, what's that doing there? We find a lot of non-Christians who aren't biblically literate have heard that there's all this slaying and yeah. killing and raping and pillaging in the Old Testament. And that's a complaint. The treatment of LGBTIQ uh, members of the community. And in Australia, that was a particular thing because there was a national vote about same-sex marriage in 2017. And some Christians uh, postured themselves really well and some really badly you know, almost like they were the hosts of the dinner party instead of just delighted to be in the conversation, here's our view. And so so that what that's left a lot of Australians with quite recently is that the church is just bigoted, mean-spirited, horrible people. Um, the history of the church, uh, the cover-ups of uh, sex abuse of children in the church, these, these are the dominant questions that present is Christianity and the church bad for you now the other questions haven't gone away as in you know the big ones suffering existence of God right the other religions they are still there they're kind of base questions but the mood of the last 10 years at least is very much around this what you might call ethos questions the character of the church hmm. is it a good is it a good thing? Is it a good thing? Mm. Or is it going to harm? Is it going to harm us? Mm. I mean, at the Center for Public Christianity, we were so uh, disturbed by this or so struck by this as a mood that we produced a documentary, uh, came out in 2018, called For the Love of God, subtitled uh, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. And I mean, it was a major production in 15 countries and three of us hosted and we have 40 scholars interviewed. And it's a warts and all account of church history crusades witch trials slavery etc 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 but also an account of the beautiful things christianity gave the west 
um, human rights and the doctrine of humility and schools and whatever. Um, and then we sort of move the viewer toward the question, which of these traditions is truer to the founder of Christianity? The violence, the raping, the pillaging, or the setting up hospitals for people, educating, caring. And you know, even the most stark atheist in the West knows the answer to that question. And therefore, the problem with bad Christianity isn't Christianity. It's the departure from Jesus that is the real problem. And, and, and so this is where we're trying to move people uh, to see that Jesus wrote a beautiful tune, we might use that analogy, and that it's been sung beautifully for much of world history, and it's been sung really badly, completely out of tune. But, but the tune is still beautiful. It's still a gorgeous melody. God's love for us, uh, love your enemies, which Jesus himself took all the way to the cross. What you're describing uh, sounds uh, almost like a strategy of engagement um, because when you take that kind of a forthright posture to owning the, the dark side, the downside of, of Christian history, uh, that probably takes a number of people off guard. Is yep. that fair to say? It really does. Um, but the more we got into you know, the writing of the documentary and production of it, which took three years, uh, we, we actually as a team saw this not, not really as a strategy, but as the truth. The truth just is the truthful way to go about it. You mean? Yeah, or? it's just the truthful way to go about it. Okay. Um, Christians have done terrible things, and they thought they were doing it for Jesus. And it's hard for us today to look back and think how 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 could they have done that? But that just makes me think: a hundred years from now, what will people be looking back on us saying? How how could sure you know, evangelicals in Australia or in America? How could they have thought that? Um, so. <laughs> I come out of it um, having lost any sense of triumphalist Christianity. Uh, the experience of really researching and then filming these things sort of flattened me on, on the one hand. Mm. But on the other, I am more confident than I have ever been that actually the tune Jesus brought into the world was not just unique, but it transformed the Western world and gave the secular West some of the things it loves most human equality, uh, humility, charity, and on and on and on. Things that are now regarded as secular virtues, which did not exist. Yeah, they have their roots. They, d they do. Elsewhere. Yeah, they, they did not come from Greece and Rome. Mm -hmm. They came from the Judeo-Christian influence. All right. Tell us about your podcast, yeah. Undece Undeceptions. Yeah, it's a weird name, isn't it? But um, I pinched the word from a title of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, essays which hardly anyone's heard about because it's now out of print, but he published a series of essays on the Christian faith called Undeceptions. And it's actually a 16th century word. So you go to the Oxford English Dictionary and it's to undeceive means to reveal the truth, right. actually. Um, and I've always loved the word. And so it just seemed like a, a, a cool, cool thing to do. It gets people's uh, attention. It's all about letting the truth out. And um, it's uh, once a week, 40 minute program, documentary sort of based. And we'll take science, we'll, we'll take uh, history of the church, we'll take modern psychology, we'll deal with issues that a thoughtful skeptic is thinking about. What's been um, the toughest episode you've done? Um, probably the one that is about to air um, on cancer. Mm. Um, 
the episode, uh, it's episode one of the next season, which starts in a few weeks. And what made it so difficult is not only, you know, I interviewed um, one of the leading cancer researchers in Britain, a professor at Oxford, who's uh, leading multiple teams trying to rid the world of cancer. So I interviewed him, but actually my best mate in the world has been going through a very, very dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, immediate cancer um, scare that ended up having to lead to major surgery and facial uh, reconstruction. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's still, I mean, he's, he's in ministry. He was in my band. He goes right back to those days. Okay. Converted with me in the band with me. He's a minister in London. And um, so he's still recovering. Uh, and we just we just wait and see. But I, the podcast that particular episode, it revolves around not just the academics stuff about cancer, and this professor of cancer is is a Christian, evangelical Christian. But but my buddy going through it mm. and his reflections on it, mm. that's probably the hardest. Yeah, wow. I'm going to borrow or to use your word pinch. Uh, a question from one of my other favorite podcasts uh, on script, and so I'll give uh, give my uh, my host host friends on on script uh, credit for this question. They love to ask this, but I thought it would be good to ask of you. Uh, what what is one common belief held by evangelical Christians that you think needs to die? Oh, brother, you, you're gonna get me get me <laughs> into trouble. Well, I'll just uh, you know I'll blame the question on them. Well, it depends what you mean by evangelical. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So, um, I feel like saying the the view that we have rights over the culture, the the view that we are the prophet Ezekiel, and the culture is backsliding Judah. Um, and therefore, we speak to the culture like the prophet did, you know, mm. with a, with an air of entitlement, with an air of moral authority, calling them back to what they should know. Those, high ground, as if we own the high ground. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that model, the prophet model, uh, that influences the church's um, posture toward the world, the language we use about the world when the world's not listening, let alone the language we use to the world, I think is deadly. I mean, it's theologically rubbish because it assumes, you know, Australia is Israel and I'm Ah. the prophet, right? Or America is Israel and, you know, you're the prophet. That's the wrong model. We we are in Athens, not Jerusalem. We're up in the Areopagus. And it's it's a culture that has been influenced by Christianity, absolutely. But we mustn't think of it as a as a Christian culture that's just backslidden and needs to be admonished back. Uh, we're in Athens, and they need to be wooed to even think there's something good here somewhere. Yeah. And that requires a different uh, different posture. Okay. So the prophet model sucks. <laughs> okay. Um, and I hope I don't get you into trouble. Uh, <laughs> you said it. I didn't. You're going back home. So. <laughs> Uh, we mentioned you're a musician. You told us a little bit about that, and I need to tell listeners that a good bit of your music, apparently you're still producing music, mm. uh, and a good bit of it is on your website. Uh, I listened to a little bit of it, and I'll say this not simply because you're sitting across the table from me, but I really did resonate with that, and I'm going to be downloading some of it. Fantastic. So t- Thank you. Uh, tell us about that. 
Yeah, well, you can also go to Spotify and just listen to it on Spotify. Yeah. But there is another John Dixon on Spotify. Yeah, get the right and, John Dixon. Uh, but yeah, because he's got a very different sound for, from mine. But my, yeah, my latest track is Turn Everything Around. So if people want to Spotify, John Dixon, Turn Everything Around. Uh, that just came out last month. Look, music, I don't do much, um, but it was a big deal in my life. You know, I was six years full time touring, writing, writing material, recording, and then I recorded another three albums after the band disbanded. I did two albums with my uh, guitarist, the, the guy who now has cancer. Um, I did uh, one, what did I do, two? No, I did two, so I've done four albums after the band, two solo albums as well. Okay. And, um, and then I have all these songs that I never recorded that, that I wrote uh, back in the day, and I'm now slowly recording them. And uh, the one I just mentioned is, is, is an example of that. Um, I don't do enough music, and my life's been so full, you know, leading a church, a halftime, writing books, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm in a new space now where I'm no longer leading a church. I'm just full-time writing and speaking and trying to make Christ public. And part of that is a sort of t- return to music. But I, I, I mean, I love music. I, anyone who's done music professionally um, and then stops, I reckon misses it like the best friend you haven't seen for 20 okay. years. And you just walk around with an ache. An mm. ache. That's that's what it's felt like. Yeah. Mm. Mm. What's your music about? Is it is it, does it share the the same ethos with your the other facets of your ministry? It does. It's almost all uh, trying to communicate with a person who doesn't believe. So my musical influences are you know if you can imagine you two crossed with like an Aussie band in excess or something, but nowhere near as good as either of those. Um, but it's trying to engage the the thinking skeptical person. Okay. So it isn't you know Jesus loves me music, as good as that sort of music mm-hmm. is. Um, but it, there, there are Christian themes in everything. Over the course of your your ministry and your career, have you noticed any ways in which your thinking has shifted, deepened, um, progressed? Mm. How have you changed over your career? I used to be um, more uptight uh, about, or more anxious about uh, the world and its um, its its way, its drift. And I think I'm way less anxious. Mm. Far more. I don't think it is a loss of passion, but it's it's more a sense of um, confidence that, mm. that Christ has this. He owns every room. It doesn't depend on me. And so I feel far more relaxed about going into public and getting whacked around the head, metaphorically speaking, and smiling sweetly back because I know Jesus owns the room. So I think that has been a, you know, um, in terms of um, the psychology of my ministry, you know, how I've approached it, that's been that's been a big thing. But there have been lots of things I've changed my view on. Uh, I, I don't know if I ever get an invitation back, but I, I used to be staunchly complimentarian on women's okay. ministry. We okay. would never want to see women uh, in the pulpit. I became convinced simply on exegetical grounds that while um, male teaching elders may be the uh, the biblical model, that women preaching what we call sermons, I think is um, to be entirely encouraged. And, and so you, ha- you have a book out on that, do you not? Yeah, <laughs> yep, I do, called Hearing Her Voice. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I've, I've, over the years I've just become, I can see why it makes a, a lot more sense of all of the data we have to say women ought to be giving sermons mm. um, in, uh, in our churches. And while I myself 
still hold a semi-complementarian view about the, in my Anglican context, the priest of the congregation, okay. the, the main teaching priest. Uh, actually, I, I'm, I'm also very, very comfortable working with other churches where that's not the case. So I do a lot of work in Melbourne, and I'm very comfortable working with um, uh, women priests and you know, serving them and being invited to do evangelism mm-hmm. uh, with them. Mm-hmm. So that's a, you know, that, that's a change. But that's a sort of intra-church thing that is um, very much secondary for me even though I'm sure women listening to this will think, eh, it's not secondary, and I can, I can understand yeah, why. Right. Huh. Okay, so you're wearing a Green Bay Packers jacket, <laughs> which uh, if anybody sees your photo on our website, they will uh, notice that and think that may be a little odd for <laughs> an Aussie. What's the story? What's the deal with the Packers jacket? <laughs> well, I didn't deliberately wear it today uh, to raise the question. But it is true that um, back in 2011, um, I got an email from someone um, inviting me to come speak to this football team uh, on the topic of humility. My book on that topic had just come out. And I didn't, I did, had never heard of the Green Bay Packers. Honestly, I had never, I, I mean, maybe I'd heard, heard them on the news, but I ne- didn't register. So I texted my son and said, buddy, I've just been invited to speak to a team called the Green Bay Packers. Uh, are they any good? Should I go? And I still have that. I still have that text. <laughs> and he goes, "What are you kidding? They just won the Super Bowl, right? Uh, can I come?" So he he did. I went and I spoke to the Packers. Um, but when I spoke to the Packers, I had never watched one NFL game, not one, not on TV, not anything, or American football of any court, any sort. None, no okay. American football. Football for me is the game where you actually use your foot. Uh, yes. you, you call it yeah. soccer, yeah. Uh, but. I went and spoke to the team on a Saturday night, and then I went to the Sunday game at Lambeau Field. My introduction to American football was at Lambeau Field, watching the Packers uh, smash Tampa Bay, and I was hooked. I've now gone to 10 or so games. I've spoken to the Packers uh, at least that many times. And it's very special. So this Aussie who knew nothing about them has uh, become quite a fan. And I can't tell you how much merch I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've also just become uh, the bitter envy of every cheesehead in the country, uh, many of whom reside in this area uh, because this is a, a, an area of transplants. So we've got lots of, lots of Packer fans here. And to know that, uh, that someone who did not even grow up with the game was given that kind of privilege is going to make them just excruciatingly envy, and they'll almost need a theodicy for that. You know, yeah. just, how do you explain the the injustice in the world? It's just grace. <laughs> this this ignorant, depraved Australian plucked uh, out of obscurity in into the Packers, thrown into Lambeau Field. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, now you do have another version of football, though Australian rules. Oh yeah, or as one of my own seminary classmates who was from Adelaide, rules. Yeah, rules, uh, or, or they'll just call it footy. Okay, um, down the south of Australia, so South Australia yeah. and uh, Victoria, footy. What, what's and the best thing about footy? Yeah, what's well, the best thing about Australian rules? The fitness required. So they did a um, fitness test of all the codes, uh, the top players in all the codes, uh, soccer, what, what you call soccer, yeah. uh, AFL, Australian football, uh, rugby union, and rugby league, rugby league, and uh, the AFL players, the Aussie rules players, killed them on the fitness front. And when you watch a game, 
uh, it's extraordinary how much running they do. Um, I mean, at least double uh, what a rugby or rugby union. I was just thinking about do. rugby because they run all the time. Yeah, yeah, but it's so stop-start. But you watch an AFL game; it's so action-packed, um, hard to take in on the telly. Um, my mate Daryl Bock is a huge American, uh, sorry, Australian f- uh, football fan. He, he watches games over here, but I think watching it on the TV doesn't quite get you there. Okay. I've taken him to a live game in Sydney to watch the Sydney Swans, and uh, he loved it. <laughs> <laughs> Mind you, I will say, uh, having been a football fan all my life, uh, English football, Australian, you know, uh, I, I would now say I watch way more NFL than anything else way more <laughs> so <laughs> it, the, the crossover is is amazing is amazing because my own sons now watch far more um soccer yeah. uh, premier league soccer mm-hmm. yeah uh than they do american football mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. become uh i think tired of the game in in some ways and they they are they are devotees it is the beautiful to, game I th- yeah, there's no the doubt about that league. yep yep wow yeah john what uh future projects other than the, the books you have in the offing right now what uh what work do you envision going forward? Uh, well, I mean, I've still got a lot of regular things. I, I teach a course on the historical Jesus at Sydney University. I teach at Ridley College in Melbourne. Uh, I, I'm a senior lecturer there in public Christianity. What does it mean to take Christ out into the public? So I'm loving that role. I take history tours of Israel. I've got evangelistic missions rolling out over the over the coming uh, year. And more of the podcast, Undeceptions. So it's, it's a full dance card. But I'm loving it. And, you know, as I said at the outset, it's for me, it's very simple. It's just one thing. I'm just trying to make Christ public. Yeah. Dr. John Dixon, thank you very much. Lovely, for, uh, taking lovely some time to out to, to be with us on Engage 360. And uh, may the Lord just give you great favor in everything he's uh, called you to do and given you the opportunity to do. Thank you very much. I want to thank Sean Truman. He is on the boards for us today. And for him and the rest of our production team here at Denver Seminary, I'm Don Payne, your host. We look forward to being with you again next week. Take care.